You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, good morning. And Merry Christmas. It is a delightful thing for us to be able to get together on this morning just for a brief time and to rally around our King and the message of his gospel. It's a special thing. We won't have this opportunity again on a Christmas morning until 2033, Uh, but it is a delight for us to be here. And I appreciate you being here. I know that it is difficult and a sacrifice on this morning with so much going on for us to be able to be together for a brief time. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's word to our text for this morning, Revelation chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. Revelation chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. If you'd like to use one of the Black Pew Bibles, you can find that, of course, almost the very end of the Bible on page 200, on page 200. Well, Christmas Day confronts us with one of the greatest theological controversies in history. Is or is not the movie Die Hard a Christmas movie? Now, I need to give the standard disclaimer. Referencing a movie or book or other media in a sermon is not an endorsement of everything in that book, movie, or other media. But that is a question that comes up every Christmas. It takes place at Christmas, but it's not really about Christmas. Well, this morning, as we come to this text, I'll preach from Revelation 19, verses 20 through 21. In your Bible, likely, there is a heading that says, Doom of the Beast and the False Prophet. We've been preaching this year through the book of Revelation. We often do take a break during the uh, December weeks. And this year, we decided as pastors to stick with our, our series and move forward in Revelation because of the way that we can see Christmas is colored by the truth, the promises, the purposes that God is fulfilling now and that he will complete in the future. So is this a Christmas sermon? Is this a Christmas text? Well, the sermon takes place at Christmas, but the text really isn't about Christmas, is it? It is. And so this morning, we have a wonderful opportunity to consider from the book of Revelation some key truths, essential truths to make the most of this Christmas morning. Because we're reminded by John in 1 John 3, 8, these incredible words, listen carefully to them. The Son of God appeared. That's his coming into the world for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus appeared on that Christmas morning to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, I think, and we will, use Revelation 19, 20, and 21 to see what will happen in the end to the devil's works, as well as serve as a reminder to us of how Jesus has been destroying these works from the beginning in a unique way, actually by changing us. On the two sides of the redemptive coin, we see how Jesus has come to save his chosen, and we see in this text how he puts an end to the devil's works, the works of the anti-chosen. 
So we want to notice these three essential truths and take them with us in the brief time that we have, as well as to prepare our hearts on this unique Christmas morning, because we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper as well before we go and continue on with our celebration with family and friends, travel, and all the rest. Well, at this point in the story, in Revelation chapter 19, we see the beast and the false prophet from chapter 13 doing something incredibly foolish. They are foolishly preparing for a battle with the Almighty. Picking up in verse 19 from last Sunday, it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembling to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. But we have an opportunity to see now not only what will happen in the future, but also to glean from this text these three essential truths of what they mean to us as God's people. The first truth is this, that Christ was born to set us free. The first truth on this Christmas morning is that Christ was born to set us free. Uh, Notice these words in the first couple parts of verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. If you really want to understand the Bible anytime you're reading through it, if you start a Bible reading plan this year, go ahead and make a, a kind of commitment to the guideline that as you read the Bible, you will watch the verbs The verbs are doing the action. They're carrying so much of the weight throughout everything that we read, but in particular scripture. And notice here in the very first few words of verse 20, the verb seized. You'll notice grammatically, it's a passive verb. That's a way of using a verb to show that something is happening to someone else. It's not happening by them, it's happening to them. They are passive in this verb and the beast and the false prophet and the kings and the armies and all the rest are seized, passively. Seized, we know what that word means. It means to capture or to apprehend like a criminal. It means to catch prey in a net or, or maybe to lure using using deception and a trap. Well, what is God doing here? He's using their own deception as a trap for them and seizes them. This is easy to overlook, but it is a fundamental, glorious truth about God. It's a truth that gives us hope and courage. And it is that he remains in absolute control of the world at all times and over all it contains. In this word seized is the reminder that Jesus on that Christmas morning did not come to try to destroy the works of the devil. He came with the assurance of absolute victory and it is captured in the passive verb seized. He by himself will seize the beast and the false prophet. He is in control. But as we can with this text and many others, we can see in it not only what will happen to them, but also to see how it feeds back into the truth of what has happened to us. What are we celebrating this morning? 
we are not only celebrating a future seizing and destroying of the devil's works, we are celebrating another kind of passive seizing because he was born not only to seize the devil, he was born to seize you. He was born to seize me. But when he seizes us, he doesn't do it to imprison us or to destroy us, but in fact to do the very opposite. For his chosen, he does the opposite of what he does to his anti-chosen, the devil. He seizes to set us free. And he does it by the announcement of good news that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. This is an announcement of good news in the gospel that Jesus has come into the world to seize sinners and to save us. Listen to these words from Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 17. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Jesus reads then these words in the tabernacle. Listen, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, notice lots of announcement language, release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is the first truth that we celebrate on this Christmas morning. But he sets us free in a most unexpected way. And that brings to our hearts and minds the second truth, that he does it by drawing us close to himself. Christ was born to set us free, but Christ was also born to draw us close. Notice the last little part or phrase of verse 20. There's another passive verb. Something else is happening to the beast and the false prophet. It says at the end, then these two were thrown There's another passive verb, an incredible verb doing so much of the work in this clause, but passively, he with his control having seized them will then throw them alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. This is a terrible reality. It's a terrible place of ultimate judgment and condemnation, a place that is a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And in the end, having seized him, he will throw him into this lake of fire. During warmer months, we have enjoyed in past years, and we really need to get back to it again because that little boat in our garage has not seen the light of day in probably three years. But we have liked in the past, and we will again go fishing in Hoover Reservoir just down the road. And every day that we go fishing, at the end of the day, we are left with a a bucket. And it is a bucket of dirty water. It usually has either dead minnows in it or the last remains of fish that have been cleaned. And at the end of the day, we take this bucket and we heave all of the waste out into the lake without any concern for where it lands. We heave it out into the lake and you can see it in your mind going just everywhere and splashing down and sinking down to the bottom, floating away. That is what the word thrown in this verse means. It means to cast away without any concern for where it goes, to pitch it out into the lake. 
This is what Jesus will do with all of the works of the devil and even the devil himself in the end. But here again is another encouraging vision that God not only will pour out the devil's works, but on the other side of that coin, through his Christmas mission, Jesus has done another kind of throwing, another kind of passive pouring And it is that he has chosen by coming into our world for us to pour himself onto us. To pour himself extravagantly onto us, almost without the concern in the similar picture of pitching himself onto us, covering us. He's poured his grace and his mercy onto us and he has become the very source of cleansing gladness. He has given himself to us, thrown himself upon us. That is the beauty. That, friends, that is the beauty. We cannot let that go of Christmas. That is what he has done. And that is what he has come to do. So many of these truths are captured in such rich, uh, gospel-centered hymns that we sing at Christmas time. In fact, I've said before, probably on uh, a, a sermon around Christmas, just how striking it is to me to be in places where most people are not Christians, most people are not thinking about the gospel where they are in the department store or in the, in, the, in the restaurant and they hear hymns coming over and they hum along with the hymns without any real sense of the, the words of it. I really like to, and I've encouraged you know, our kids and family to think about the words of the songs on Sunday morning or what you hear on the radio. Listen to the, these words from a poem from 1843 by a, a French Um, poet named Placide Capo. In fact, these words became very familiar to us now on Christmas morning. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Listen, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared And the soul felt its worth till he appeared, till he appeared pouring himself out upon us, throwing himself upon us with grace and mercy. And in that moment, finally, the soul can feel its worth. Or perhaps a a clearer way to say it would be to say that the soul would feel his worth that we would recognize how great he is. It goes on, a thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And then these words, these are the department store words that so catch my attention when I hear them. It's everywhere at Christmas time. It's in all of the places being played and yet it's going almost without notice. Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Oh, night divine. By pouring out his grace, Jesus does for his people a kind of drawing, drawing us close to himself. It reminds us even of one of the brightest Christmas passages in the Bible, which is another passage that we don't think of as a Christmas text. In Titus chapter two, listen to these words. For the grace of God 
has appeared. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world and appearing. And in fact, Jesus is so encapsulated in pouring, throwing grace that he is referred to as grace appearing the world in the world. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in a godly manner in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing. That's looking to the second coming. That's what we've been reading about. Looking forward in the hope of his first coming, looking forward to the second coming, which is an appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Do you see what's happening there? Do you see the two sides of the coin? Jesus came, one, to destroy the works of the devil, and two, to pour out his grace and mercy upon his people so that we would be eager for good deeds, that we'd be eager to glorify him. But there is one more way that we can put it this morning with a third essential truth if we really want to rejoice on this Christmas morning. Christ was born to set us free. Christ was born to draw us close. Last, Christ was born to give us life forevermore. We see this incredible, glorious reality in the reflection of this text, looking into it as into a mirror, which is reversing the image, coming back at us. Look at verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is that disturbing image that we saw last Sunday of all of the birds feeding on the flesh of of really Jesus' enemies, those who have have been taken captive and, and and have never repented, having been taken captive by the unbelieving world, the unbelieving system. And listen, I know, I know that it is unsettling to read about killing on Christmas morning. This is one of those realities that we want to push off. Let's push off the reality of sin on this morning. Can we keep things light and bright? But if you do, you may open some presents. You may enjoy some food. You may have some laughs, but you will miss the glory of Christmas. Our appreciation of the good news of Jesus coming into our world requires the sobering of the bad news. Jesus came to give us life because we were headed toward death, because we deserved death. That is what Placid Capo means when he says in that poem from 1843, long lay the world in sin and error, pining. But here we have at Christmas the beautiful reality of what Jesus has come to do, entering that kind of world on our behalf. You see it all the time, though it is a really familiar part of Christmas decorations, even around town. Downtown, you see these in different places. Um, The Safe Auto Company, right downtown on Broad Street. Sometimes I run by there, and there is an enormous nativity. And it's a beautiful thing to see, if you think about it. If you stop and really look at what is the nativity, 
It is an image of the world centered around one seemingly small seed of life. When the watching world looks at the nativity, I think they probably just see a cute wiggly baby in the manger. They think of a Sunday school story, but if it's left there, we will miss the real meaning, the real beauty, the real reality, the redemption that is in that scene. Though the world may see a baby, you and I who belong to him, we see something else. We see the grace of eternal life planted in a dying world. That is what Jesus is on Christmas morning. He is not just a baby waiting to grow up and do something important. He is the seed of everlasting life planted in a dying world. And those who love and know him are gathered around him in that scene. There's another important hymn that we often sing. And it's originally titled A Hymn for Christmas Day is by Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, another great preacher who added on to the words of the hymn. You know these words. I don't even have to give you the title. You'll pick it up as soon as you hear the first, the first little line there. Listen to these words. Think again about the rich truth that we're singing at this time of year. Hark the herald angels sing. Hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that, no, that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. How many times, guilty as charged, you just sang right through that song and gave very little thought to the rich theological truth within it. The truth that makes us alive on Christmas morning. The truth that makes us alive in Christ. This is the truth that we want to capture today. We want to keep that today. Let's sing that song sometime today. Even if it's just in your head, riding along somewhere, wherever you're going, think about these words and think about how rich they are and what they mean to us on this day. The revelation of John proclaims to us a future hope to change our lives today. That's why we wanted to stay in Revelation. We wanted to look forward. Even though this is counterintuitive to us, it brings to us this reminder as looking in a mirror with that reflected image of what Christ has done for us so that we might really embrace the truth and the joy of this moment, this morning And so I want to challenge you with simply one response to this sermon, to this text, and that is to rejoice, to look forward in hope, in the hope of Christ who sets us free, who draws us close, and who gives us life forevermore. I cannot think of a better way for us to celebrate that than sharing together in the Lord's Supper. And so I'll ask those who will be... uh, Uh, distributing the elements to go ahead and and come up and take them and just remind you that um, what we're doing here is we're taking bread and juice that is a reflection it's a symbol of Christ in his body and his blood and what he's done for us what he was born to do and for those of us who know him we've been united to Christ we take this as a ministry of his grace to us he ministers to us as we take it and we reflect upon what he's done 
And I hope that the text that we've read this morning and heard from and all that this morning means will further help us to do that. Let me encourage you that as you receive the bread and the juice, we'll do it all at one time and then come together to celebrate and to take it, that you would really set your mind on these truths. Set your mind on the hymns that we've been singing of what they mean to us and what Christ has done for us. If you're here this morning, whether you're a church member or not, as long as you're a Christian, we welcome you to take from this table and to celebrate with us. If you happen to be here today and you're not a Christian, we ask you to wait. This is a wonderful time to observe and to pray. And I would encourage you to ask God to give you everything that you need so that you might believe in him. And so that then one day you'll take this with us and we'll all celebrate together about this king who has come and has redeemed us from our sins and who is coming again and will in the end destroy all of the works of the devil and take us to himself forevermore. Mm -hmm.